Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Canada is a winter nation, and as such, we have always embraced our winter sports. In fact, our winter sports have been used in such a way to showcase the endurance and toughness of a people who spend much of the year battling hostile weather conditions. While the 21st century has posed immense questions both domestically and globally as to what it means to be Canadian, part of our perceived identity is still connected to the sport of hockey. A winter sport that blends toughness with elegance, rugged individuality paired with crucial teamwork. The game is seen as quintessentially Canadian. Yet, for many women in this country, the game was out of reach. Outdated notions of gender roles created barriers for many Canadian women who sought to play the great game. But women persevered. And in the last half of the 20th century, many rose to prominence, challenging traditional ideas about the game, about gender, about sex, and about what it means to be Canadian. This is Season 5, Episode 10, An Uphill Skate, The Women of the Hockey Hall of Fame. There are many great books on women in hockey, but this week I will recommend Offside, a memoir, Challenges Faced by Women in Hockey by Rhonda Lehman-Taylor. Rhonda was one of the founders of organized women's hockey in Canada during the 1980s as the first salaried female employee working for the OWHA. Rhonda sat as chairwoman of the inaugural Women's National Hockey Championships, directed the first female council, the main voice for girls hockey today, and was the first woman to ever sit on the CAHA Hockey Canada Board of Directors. Offside details the numerous trials that women like Rhonda had to overcome to make hockey a socially acceptable sport for women in Canada. Her story combines colorful and thought-provoking anecdotes, 
to bring to light the important history that paved the way for women to enjoy the game today. Now, before talking about the women of the Hockey Hall of Fame, it's important to trace the development of women in the game itself. It would come as no surprise to anybody that knew even a little bit about Canada how much hockey has featured in the development of a modern Canadian identity. The connection between Canada, winter, and winter sports, of which hockey emerged as the preeminent, is a fairly accepted pillar of Canadianness. However, for much of hockey's history and sports in general, the focus has almost always been on men. It is only in recent decades that women's hockey has started to become accepted by mainstream hockey fans while also gaining the respect of those within the sport itself. Simply put, the 21st century has seen women's hockey fuse with broader connections made between Canadian identity and the sport in general. Yet... Even though, historically speaking, this emergence of women's hockey may be a relatively new phenomenon, women have been a part of the game for over a century. In fact, decades before the National Hockey League was ever formed, women were playing hockey. An early example of this occurs all the way back when Lord Stanley of Preston, the namesake of the Stanley Cup, who, when Governor-General of Canada in the late 1880s, famously flooded his backyard to create an ice rink on which his children, both boys and girls, could play, long before Wayne Gretzky's father famously carved out an ice rink for the Great One. In fact, a photograph from 1891 shows Stanley's daughter, Isabel Preston, playing hockey the first photographic evidence of a woman participating in the sport. A year later, in 1892, was the first organized and recorded all-female ice hockey game in Barrie, Ontario. However, in terms of amateur sporting leagues, there was very little support for anything resembling organized women's hockey. The drive to create women's hockey teams and leagues actually came from Canadian post-secondary institutions. Perhaps the most famous example of this were the pioneers of organized women's hockey, the Love Me Littles. Led by women's hockey pioneer Marion Fraser, the Love Me Littles were a roster of female players all from Queen's University formed in direct defiance of the Archbishop of Queen's University, who publicly stated that women should not be playing ice hockey. The Love Me Littles shattered the gender barrier, and the 1890s saw teams form in response throughout colleges and universities in both Ontario and Quebec. By the eve of the First World War, Women's teams were now a part of the university and college landscape from coast to coast. This was followed by the establishment of a number of amateur leagues that had also sprung up throughout the country. In fact, 
1916, the first ever international women's hockey tournament was held in Cleveland, Ohio, between a number of Canadian and American teams. As well, an annual intercollegiate tournament was being held regularly at the same time. The University of Toronto Lady Blues were one of the more dominant intercollegiate teams during this period, winning nearly a dozen intercollegiate and tournament titles. The most well-known of all the women's hockey leagues was the Eastern Ladies Hockey League, which formed in December 1915. It was the only league that really achieved any sort of widespread popularity and even some commercial success. It was, effectively, the closest thing to a professional women's hockey league that Canada had ever seen to that point. The league was actually created to help fill seats at Montreal's Jubilee Arena. So many young men were now serving overseas in the Canadian military that a number of very popular men's amateur leagues had been dissolved. At its peak, the Jubilee's 3,200 seats were sold out at 25 cents a ticket for those who wanted to watch the hockey of the Eastern Ladies Hockey League. By the end of the First World War, the league had teams representing all the regions of Canada. However, with the return of so many men from overseas in 1918 and 1919, the league quickly lost its popular following as men's hockey returned. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Nonetheless... The Eastern Ladies Hockey League was an incredible shot in the arm for women's hockey in this country as it challenged traditional gender constructs regarding women in sport, especially women and ice hockey, which for many was considered an all-male domain. By the interwar period, amateur clubs existed in almost every city, town, and region. Some of the largest women's hockey leagues in the country were the Ladies Ontario Hockey Association, which was formed in 1922, and the Dominion Women's Amateur Hockey Association, which was formed in 1933. Perhaps one of the more shocking teams playing during this interwar period was the Fernie Swastikas, a popular amateur women's hockey club based out of Fernie, British Columbia. Their jerseys proudly displayed the swastika, which was, prior to Hitler's bastardization of the symbol, considered a sign of good fortune. In fact, there were two other women's teams who called themselves the swastikas, one from Edmonton, Alberta, and the other from Windsor, Nova Scotia. Obviously, once the Second World War erupted, those teams changed their logos. Now, one of the most dominating teams during this interwar period, during this period of proliferation for women's amateur hockey, 
was the Preston Rivulets of the Ladies Ontario Hockey Association. Now, they were originally a softball team, but the ladies formed a hockey team in order to continue playing sports during the harsh winter period. Little did they know, they would become one of the most dominant women's hockey teams in all of history. It is estimated that the Rivulets played nearly 350 games in their franchise history, losing only two and tying three. The Rivulets were invited to come to Europe on a hockey playing tour, but the outbreak of war in 1939 ended any hopes of that. In fact, the outbreak of war in 1939 and the demands on Canada's population in supporting the war effort, both through service in the armed forces and labor demands in Canada's war industry, meant the end of most organized women's hockey in the country outside of the college and university circuit. Organized women's hockey in Canada would not be revived until the late 1960s with the establishment of the Dominion Ladies Hockey Tournament. In 1967, the first year this tournament was held, it featured 22 teams. The tournament, in fact, still runs today and has nearly 350 teams attending annually. By the 1970s, women's teams proliferated once again throughout the country. In fact, women's hockey started to be played beyond North America, with some of the first organized leagues being established in Sweden, Finland, Norway, Switzerland, and even Japan, China, and Korea. In Canada, communities across the country began to establish leagues for girls of all ages. By the early 1980s, regular tournaments were being held for girls and women of all ages and skill levels. In 1990, the International Ice Hockey Federation hosted its first ever Women's World Championship in Ottawa, Ontario. Canada beat the USA for the gold medal. The 1990s, in fact, witnessed a massive explosion of international women's ice hockey events, capped off by the 1998 Winter Olympics in Nagano where women's hockey was included as an Olympic event for the first time. The USA won Olympic gold. In 2007, the Canadian Women's Hockey League was formed, the first ever truly professional women's hockey league in the world, and in 2015, the National Women's Hockey League was formed, eventually absorbing the financially struggling CWHL. Folks, I want to take a second to let you know that we rely exclusively on your donations. If you go to our Facebook page or our website, you will see links to PayPal or Patreon. Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. PayPal, in fact, gives you the option to donate one time, while Patreon allows you to set up regular preset donations. So if you want to donate, let's say, two bucks for every episode we publish... Well, Patreon allows you to set that up easily and securely. We survive on your donations, and every dollar donated is helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history podcast. As well, on our Facebook page and on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and a comment. We love to hear from you, so please don't be shy about slapping a five-star rating on the podcast. And to all of you who have donated, thank you. We could not keep doing this without you. Okay, so now we have sort of charted a mini-history 
of women in the sport of hockey. What began as a hobby for women seeking to challenge the status quo all the way to professional leagues and major international competition. Now, what about the Hockey Hall of Fame? Well, the Hockey Hall of Fame was first created in 1943, and while at first it moved around a fair bit, in 1993 was relocated to its current location in downtown Toronto. For almost as long as the hall existed, it was generally thought to be a place focused on the National Hockey League and in turn, of course, the men of hockey history. In reality, though, it is not the NHL Hall of Fame, but a celebration of the sport globally. In 2010, the Hockey Hall of Fame amended its nomination procedures to finally include women of the sport. The first two inductees were Cami Granato from the United States and Angela James from the Flemington Park area of Toronto. Angela began playing hockey as a child in the 1970s. While there was a girls' league in her area, she was so dominant that she was allowed to compete with boys two and three years older than her. Yet, the boys' league eventually banned her from playing on account of her being female. By the time she was 12, she was playing in adult women's leagues and at the age of 16 joined the fledgling Central Ontario Women's League. At this point, Angela emerged onto the international women's hockey scene, becoming one of the game's first internationally recognized female hockey superstars. She had an aggressive streak that gave her an edge over her competitors, while shocking fans with her natural scoring ability, often drawing comparisons to Marc Messier. She led Team Canada to numerous gold medals in international ice hockey, but was shockingly left off the 1998 Nagano Team Canada roster, a decision still considered one of the most controversial in Canadian sports. She retired in 2000. When she was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, she was not only one of the first two women to ever be inducted, but became the first openly gay athlete to be inducted, as well as only the second black athlete to be welcomed into the Hockey Hall. Geraldine Heaney was the third woman inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Though she was born in Ireland, her family moved to Ontario when she was one years of age. Though she began as a goalie, she eventually moved to defense and, like Angela James, found herself playing women five, six, and seven years older than her. At the age of 13, she joined the Ontario Women's Hockey Association, where she played for the Toronto Arrows, a team she would remain on for 18 years. She played on seven gold medal teams for Canada during the 1990s. She won a silver at Nagano in 98, and then, in her final year in hockey competition, won Olympic gold with Team Canada at Salt Lake City in 2002. Geraldine is considered to have revolutionized the defensive position within women's hockey, and like her sometimes teammate, sometimes opponent, Angela James, was inducted into the International Ice Hockey Federation Hall of Fame in 2008, Canada's Sports Hall of Fame in 2013, and the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2014. Danielle Goyette 
was born in 1966 in the small town of Saint-Nazaire, just north of Quebec City. Originally an elite tennis player, she played pickup hockey most of her life, but due to the lack of playing opportunities for young women in the 60s and 70s, she didn't start playing organized hockey until the age of 15. Danielle was one of the first French-speaking players to make it to the international Canadian women's hockey roster in 1992. In fact, she barely spoke English on a team that was generally only English-speaking. She often reflects that this was a lonely period for her, particularly as she felt her lack of English could have been a barrier to her continuing on the roster. She thus moved to Calgary to focus on developing as a hockey player while learning English. Her Olympic history is phenomenal. She played for Team Canada in 98 in Nagano, 2002 in Salt Lake, and even 2006 in Turin at the age of 40. She stands as the second highest women's goal scorer in the history of the Olympics. Danielle retired in 2007 at the age of 41 and was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2017. Haley Wickenheiser from Shonovan, Saskatchewan is often considered the greatest women's hockey player to have ever played the game. She played for the Canadian women's national hockey team for an astounding 23 years as a forward. She was in fact first selected to the team at the age of 15. She was the first woman to ever play full-time professional ice hockey in a position other than goalie. She played for a team in the Finnish Professional League and later in a Swedish Professional League. She was named one of the top 100 most influential hockey players by the Hockey News and one of the 25 toughest athletes in the world by Sports Illustrated. She won silver at Nagano, and then gold in 2002, 2006, 2010 in Vancouver, and then 2014 in Sochi, while also meddling in 13 World Hockey Championships. She is the all-time leading Olympic goal scorer with 18 goals and 51 points, and was even Canada's flag bearer at the Sochi Winter Olympics in 2014. After her retirement, Haley took a job in the front office for the Toronto Maple Leafs as an assistant director of player development while also pursuing a medical degree. The female Great One was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in June 2019. The roster of Canadian women in the Hockey Hall of Fame is absolutely incredible. Women that not only dominated the sport but became pioneers and role models for younger women. Women's hockey still has its struggles when it comes to access to funding and popular support for professional leagues, but there is no denying that the sport has erupted in the past several decades and is now played by women and girls all over the world. There is no question that Canada's Hall of Fame inductees played a crucial role in leading the way inspiring women around the world while challenging traditional ideas about Canadian identity, Canadian gender roles, and Canadian sport, while forging new understandings about what it means to be Canadian.
I want to thank you all for listening today. A reminder, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. And you can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. Thank you for tuning in, and stay cool. Stay cool.